In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will continue our study in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And just get a quick review. We have been studying the book of Daniel, and as we mentioned, Daniel is one of the major prophets because his prophecy is long. It's not uh, the short prophecies are all considered to be minor prophets. We said that Daniel, the 12 chapters are uh, divided into two parts. The first six chapters are historical. From seven to 12, it's a lot of visions. And that's why in our church, we consider it part of the prophecies where in the Jewish tradition, they consider it a historical book. We see obviously that this book was written in two different languages. And where this book, uh, the book of Daniel is very unique because it prophesied about the coming of Christ 500 years before Christ. But Daniel as a prophet is extremely unique because God did not only tell him about the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he told him the exact timing, the exact date. This is, he's the only prophet that received the exact date, and he received the exact date in chapter 9, the chapter that we're going to read today. Also, we saw that chapter 7 and chapter 8, where two prophecies are similar in a way that our Lord showed Daniel the coming of the kingdoms. And the main reason is Daniel is concerned for the people of Israel. So we saw in chapter 7 that he showed him the four different kingdoms in a form of animals, lion, bear, leopard, and the fourth animal, he could not describe it. And then the chapter 8, he focused on the last two kingdoms. Because Daniel, he, he was contemporary to the Babylonian, and then at the end of his life, he joined the Persian. So the two kingdoms that he doesn't know much about is the Greek and the Roman. So the second chapter 8, God focused with him on the last two kingdoms and focused with him on the coming of Antiochus Epiphanius, which he said he was the one that persecuted the Jews the most and, 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 decont and, and defiled the temple by making the worship of Zeus and killed a lot of Jews, almost 80,000 people. And Daniel used to receive an explanation from Gabriel to explain to him all the visions. If you guys remember in chapter 8, when we ended the prophecy, even though Gabriel explained the prophecy to Daniel, Daniel still did not understand. Daniel still did not understand. Daniel still was confused. And obviously certain things, when we see it in hindsight, it's easy to be like, oh, that makes sense. But knowing, understanding at the moment how things happen, it's difficult. The question becomes for us, why are these visions important? Why are these prophecies important? One of the things that these prophecies are important because it shows us the human nature of the world. King after king, war after war, people are hungry for power, every kingdom is coming in a degradation of moral behavior. It shows us where the world stands. It also shows us, even though the picture of the world might seem a bit ugly, but it shows us that God reigns, God is in control. And it also shows us that God reveals himself to the saints and they get to know his secrets. And it gives us confidence and faith in the word of God because God can show his secrets to his saints. We'll start with chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll go through it step by step. 
in the first year of Darius, the son of Zarkis, of the lineage of, Medi, of the Medi, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So Daniel received the first revelation, uh, the, uh, received this revelation in the first year of Darius the Median, around 538. So this is the revelation that he's going to receive at the end of the chapter about the exact timing of the coming of Christ. Bab Babylon, as you guys know, became weaker, and then the Medi came over and took over uh, Babylon from uh, uh, from, uh, from uh, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Just a couple of things we, I want to just point out in this chapter. Darius, a lot of people say it was actually a title. It was not a name of a specific person. It's a title of the person who is in charge of the kingdom at this point. Which also means that um, also Xerxes was also another title. And what he's saying here, he's saying that God has made them rulers. God himself put those two people as rulers. The man and his son. The man and his son. That's why it says, the Lord, he sets up kings and deposes them. He sets up kings and deposes them. And it seems, as you look at, at this picture from a different point of view, you might feel like the world itself is picking its own kings. But at the end of the day, God is the one who sits the rulers on the throne. No, no matter how bad the king is, God have allowed this to happen for a reason. And we will see some of the reasons today. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the book the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So usually in the Old Testament, the dating system was not like what we use today. The dating system was always relative to the king. So when you have, for example, the reign of Darius, so they'll say the first year of the reign of Darius, the second year of the reign of Darius, until the coming of Christ, and after the coming of Christ, we use the typical numbering system that we have. Okay? So he says, what he's saying, Daniel, at the end of his life, he was concerned with one main question. When will the Jews go back to Israel? God showed him that different kingdoms will come but the one question that's occupying him when would they come so he started searching the scripture which scripture has been looking has he been looking at he's been looking at jeremiah he's been looking at a at jeremiah by the way i tell you guys something important daniel and jeremiah lived at the same time but daniel was very young and at the young age jeremiah was older much older than him so it, there was overlap of few years. The Jews at the time, they did not treat Jeremiah very well. And some people said that they actually, in the book of Jeremiah, they tried to kill him. And some people say they did kill him at the end. But Daniel knew that the words of Jeremiah are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even though his own people rejected him even though the, the people of Israel rejected Jeremiah, they still knew he was a prophet and they still knew that these words came from God. Can you imagine? The same people were reject, the same words were reject. We know 
deep inside our hearts that these are the words of God. These are the words of God. So what is, what is he saying? He's saying there are some prophecies that came to Jeremiah and these prophecies said that the period of the exile of Judah would be 70 years. Exactly. Well, you will find this. You'll find it, for example, in Jeremiah 29.10. It says, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, my good work toward you and cause you to return to, the, to this place. So after 70 years, they will go back to this place. Same thing in Jeremiah 25.11. And this is the whole land shall be a desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So Jeremiah understood that God will allow the exile of Judah for 70 years. And Jeremiah delivered his prophecy about 605. This is the first year that Daniel was captive. So now it's been almost Daniel is 80. So it's almost he's been, he came to captive when he was 60, uh, when he's 15. So now he was about 65. So there's few years left until this captivity is over. There's still a few years until the captivity is over. Because remember Cyrus the Mede, he offered a release of the captive to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple. One of the things that is so beautiful about this verse is that Daniel himself study, started studying the scripture. He did not say, you know what, I'm a man of revelation. God tells me all the secrets. He himself started reading the scripture to find answers to his questions. To find answers to his question. And this is, by the way, the life of the saints. This is the life of the saints. They reach the scripture, they read the scripture, and they wait until God to touch them and to open their eyes. To open eh, their eyes. And you will see that Daniel, when he read the scripture, he did not see the 70 years as a symbolism. God opened his understanding and his heart to understand that these 70 years are actual 70 years. So Jeremiah prophesied that it will take 70 years for them to go back. Look, verse 3, one of very beautiful verse. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel, once he heard that 70 years and the people will go back to Babylon, he did something strange. He fasted, he prayed, he put on sackcloth, and he put on ashes as if he is mourning. And he will start in this next verses, you will see one of the most beautiful prayers in the book of Daniel. One of the most beautiful prayers in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a very honorable man. He was treated with great honor. And God opened his eyes to understand many secrets. He was honored in the world and he was honored in a spiritual, in a spiritual sense. But because there are certain questions that he had about the scripture that he did not understand fully. 
and he was so concerned about the people of God, he decided to fast and pray and humble himself in front of God to receive the true knowledge. One of the monks who wrote a few nice books, he said that at some times he would read a verse and he doesn't understand it. And he said that he would spend days fasting, praying, doing matonias, so that God may explain to him this verse. And this, that shows us the scripture is not simply information. It's written by the Spirit of God and it must be received by the Spirit of the believers. It must be received by the Spirit of the believers. Look at this. Daniel, who was claimed one of the most one of the wisest people in the whole empire of Babylon stands in front of God telling him, I do not understand. After now he's probably 80 years old, 80 years old of faithfulness and a strong relationship with God, he tells him, I do not understand. Help me to begin. Help me to understand. And his prayer, his concern, I want you guys to be clear, what is he concerned with? One, to understand the prophecies more. And number two, when would they go back to Israel? When would they build the temple? Why is he concerned with build, building the temple? Because this is the relationship with God. To them in the Old Testament, worshiping in the temple meant there's a relationship with God. So that's what he's concerned with. And because he doesn't understand how things will happen, he prays. And he doesn't just say a few words insincere out of just his lips. He prays, he pours himself out. For days he will be fasting, for days he will humble himself, for days he's praying and he put on sackcloth. Look, it's so beautiful, he says, I set my face toward the Lord God. And as he's reading the scripture, he lifts up his face to God and asking him, explain to me, maybe meditating on the word of God. That's why always in our church tradition, we always have the scripture mixed with our prayers. We always have this. Why? Because the scripture gives me the material to pray. Otherwise, I will pray constantly about myself. But the scripture will give me to understand how to pray for other people. How to pray to ask for the promises of God. How to pray to ask for the work of the Holy Spirit. It will teach me something different than what my typical intuition would want me to do. He is looking at God and says, he, he said, I set my face toward the Lord God. The word, the, the, by the way, here he's using the word Adonai, which means owner or rural or sovereign. And it's usually this, world, this word in the Old Testament is identified with Yahuwah. So he's telling Yahuwah, you are the owner of the universe. I set my face toward you. 
because all the answers come from you. All the answers come from you. And when somebody prays and adds fasting, it shows the seriousness of the request. It's very common when people say, you know what, let us fast Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for a special problem. When I start offering self-sacrifice and self-discipline, it shows the seriousness of my prayer. One of the worst things we can do, we say we believe in God by words, but our practice and our action doesn't show it. That's fake. That is not faith. Here, what is he doing? He's fasting, he's praying, he's showing, he's putting on sackcloth as a symbol of humility and extreme sadness. And it's important for us to understand a lot of times before I am going to pray to God, I should put myself in an environment of prayer. How, how is it possible ever that I pray after I hear some worldly songs or watch some nonsense movie or I'm eating too much food? Or I have to put myself in the right environment of prayer. Because I am standing in front of God with all humility. I'm standing in the presence of Yahuwah. The one who has all the answers. The one who has all the answers. From verse 4 to verse 19, we will split them into three different sections. Verse 4, we're going to call it worship and love. From verse 5 to 14 is a confession of personal and national sins. He's confessing his own sins and the sins of the nation. And after almost 14 verses... Daniel will start making his request known to God. Look at this prayer as we, will, as we will go through it. You will see that Daniel will not make his request known to God right, like right away. He's going to start first worshiping God, adoring God, talking to God about who God is before he starts making his request. So what does he say? He says in verse 4, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. He's confessing to God. What is he confessing? He's confessing the greatness of God. He's confessing the greatness of God. When I confess the greatness of God, I will be able to start putting myself in the right frame of prayer that many of my own personal requests or desire before prayer will be diminished. Giving the glory to God at the beginning is almost like a fire that destroys all my earthly desire. He's confessing the greatness of God and in it he's confessing his trust in God. I trust in you. I trust in who you are. Later on he will start confessing his own weakness. 
You know, the mind of Daniel is so filled with the words, with the words of the scripture that even that simple verse that we just read, you will see it in Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 8, you will see it in Jeremiah, you will see it in Deuteronomy. When he's talking to God, he's using the words of the scripture. He's telling him, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. These are very similar words of the scripture. These are the very similar words of the scripture. We naturally do not know how to pray. That's, by the way, what the Bible said. This is not what I'm saying. The Bible says we do not know how to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes on us, on our behalf. How many of us know how to speak to God? You know, if you're meeting, for example, the President of the United States tomorrow, they're going to probably give you a small crash course on what's the protocol of how to speak to the President. How many of us know how to speak to God? So the word of the scripture makes our prayer extremely rich. Because I am using the words that are intimate with God. Intimate with God. When he's talking to God, he's reminding him of something extremely important. He's telling him, God, you had a covenant with Abraham. You have showed us how faithful you are. So when he's talking to God, the first thing he's saying, he's telling him, God, I'm using the words of the Bible. But I'm also reminding you of all the work you have done in my life. When I talk about the faithfulness of God in my life and his promises, it cleanses my heart and purifies my thoughts. I realize that God is in control. And I might not even ask my request at the end. When I stand in front of God and tell him, God, you know what? I know how faithful you were with me in this. Even though I have sinned and committed all this, you still have sent people to outreach to me. Even when I, you taught me to hear your voice and to hear your grace, I still rebelled and disobeyed you. But you still brought me back. Even you have entrusted me with service that I'm not worthy to be in. When I start looking at the work of God in my life, I might not need to present anything new. Does God work in our life or no? Has He been faithful or no? Daniel praises God and tells him, Great and awesome God. The word awesome means to be feared. Means the one who inspires fear. When you seek the greatness and power of God, our humanity is so frail in front of him. You know what's so interesting about this verse? Daniel lived in a time where the God of Babylon was claimed to be much stronger than the God of Israel. Because look at all Israel. They are in Babylon and they're all enslaved and they're all treated badly. And Babylon says our gods are the reason for where we are. 
But he still, even though the situation he's in, does not reflect an awesome and a great God from a worldly point of view. He still knew his God. He still trusted in, his, in God. He never doubted the greatness of God. He never doubted the greatness of God. Who is the God we worship? The one he keeps his covenant. The word, the word covenant, by the way, is always related to love. It's a covenant of love. The word hasad in Hebrew, which is used for, for, for covenant, it's more about loyalty of love. That's the covenant. And who received the covenant? Abraham. God, he told him, I will give you a land and your inheritance will be like the stars of the uh, the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. Daniel was appealing to God's heart of love. He's not praying to anything. Salam God, you are love. You are powerful and your relationship with humanity have showed that your nature is love. Nature is love. Look at that, the last verse, last part of this verse. What does he say? He says, Who keeps his covenant mercy to those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. So what is he saying here? This is an important part. He's saying that all of us, by the way, are subject to the mercy and the love of God. But for a temporary period, it's not forever. But then he said, those who love God are the object of his eternal mercy and eternal care. What does that mean? It means there is a time where it might be hard for me to repent. There is a time when I do not respond to the grace of God, my heart will be hardened. And even if I hear words that rebuke me and move my heart, they might not do much work. If I hear his saying, God's mercy are shown to who? To those who are faithful to God. Everybody will experience his mercy. But those who are faithful to God will experience His mercy forever. Forever. Verse 5, what does he say? We have sinned. We have sinned and committed iniquity. And we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Daniel is confessing on behalf of all Israel. You know, the word sin means missing the mark. And the word committed iniquity means I bended the word of God or I twisted the word of God. He's telling God, we have done everything possible. We have missed your words. We have twisted your words. We have even rebelled against your words. We have rebelled against your word. Rebellions, by the way, 
is one of the most dangerous re response to the commandments of God. Because the result of rebellions is the hardening of the heart. I'll give you an example. Some people, all of us sin. But some people become courageous in sin. Courageous in sin. They start taking pride in their sin. They start sharing their sins on social media as an element of pride. They bring people together so they can sin together. These sort of things hardened the heart of the people. He told him, we have turned away. We refuse to obey your commandments and your law. Here, when he, obviously he's talking about the law, he's talking about the full law. Saint Jerome, he's saying, Daniel's people are so stubborn that they are far away from God's truth and forgiveness. One of their biggest sin is that they are stubborn. They like their way, they like the sin, and they don't want to hear anything else. They justify the path they are walking in without accepting the word of God to change them. You see, when you look at this verse, when you look at the whole book of Daniel, the book of Daniel does not mention a single sin of Daniel himself. That doesn't, we're not saying his sinless, but every, all, all, all humans are sin, sin, uh, born with sin, except our Lord. But Daniel did not rebel against God. Daniel did not try to disobey God. But Daniel was so worried about the people of God. I tell you guys something. A lot of times, even I think me personally are guilty of this, is that when we stand and pray, most of the prayers I'm asking things for myself, even for a spiritual virtue. God, give me humility. God, give me clear, clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. I'm usually asking for myself. And part of some time of our request, part of it, that we want to be better than everybody else spiritually. Part of it, there is a selfishness hidden inside. But to find that pure love that says no, no, we all sins. Make us all holy. Make us all humble. Make us all pure. It's not easy. It's not easy. This reminds us of what Moses did, Moses the prophet. He told God, look, I know that people are difficult, but if you destroy them, I am with them. Destroy me with them. I don't want to be saved without the people I serve, without my people. That was his request to God. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophet, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the lands. God, even though people were, were tough, were rebellious, he continued to send them 
people to speak to them. Not only the scripture, but he sent them prophets. And these prophets, they were so courageous that they spoke to the prince and the leaders. They give people example of how good character should be. Why is he telling God this? He's telling him, God, look, we have no excuse. I cannot tell you the main reason we rebelled is because we do not know any better. He's telling him we rebelled because we rebelled, because we just sinful. We've heard many things. And for us, by the way, this verse applies because God has sent us his Holy Spirit to speak inside our hearts. And it becomes a, prob a problem if I do not distinguish this, the voice of the Spirit and respond to it. We're going to say the same exact verse with him. You have sent us the Holy Spirit, but we have not heeded. Why did we not heed? Because when I hear the voice of God, I start doubting the voice of God. I start resisting the voice of God. I start rebelling against the voice of God. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. Confession of our own sins allows us to receive the help from God. Allows us to receive the help. Allows us to tell God, look, I know who I am. I know who I am. And I'm helpless without your hand. I cannot even ask for you to give virtue to everybody around me. I'm even selfish in the spiritual sense. Even when I'm asking for love, I want to be, to, I want to be loved the most. Verse 7, it tells him, O Lord, righteous belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it's this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those are far off in all countries, to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which you have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. He's telling him, to us belongs shame and disgrace. What is he talking about? Israel is captive. The temple is destroyed. They are broken. He's telling him, to us belongs the shame. Sin put us down. Sin put us down. Sin took away from us the beautiful altar in my heart. It took away the beautiful communal worship that we had. took away the holy land that we had. It took away all the things that we beautifully had. That's why we should not take sin lightly. Daniel Hill is saying what the past sins of Israel are still until today bringing us dishonor. Some sins, even when we repent, whenever we repent and, and confess, God forgives our sins. But some sins might continue to have an impact. For example, when somebody, my son, gets addicted to alcohol, 
or somebody maybe becomes abusive and gets a legal record, there are certain things that continues with you. And he's telling him the sins of Israel are repeated. You know, what's interesting, I'll tell you guys get a, just a quick historical review. If you guys remember, we had two Israel, the people of Israel were two different countries. Israel, which had ten different tribes, and Judah, which had two tribes. Israel was so corrupt that they fell under the Assyrian and God showed Judah, Judah, which is a very small country. God showed them, look, see, look at Israel. They have disobeyed me and I allowed them to be completely destroyed. I'm giving you a chance. What did Judah do? Nothing. Nothing. As if this message does not concern us. Just a few years later, a few, a hundred years later or so, same thing. Even though it's a miracle that this small country, Assyria could not take them over. And Israel, which much stronger than Judah, fell in the hands of the Assyrian. We look at this in a spiritual sin, uh, spiritual sins. Spiritual sins. That when I am following the commandments of God and faithful to Him, I do not fall easy in the hands of the devil. It does not break me. It does not steal my peace or my joy. Because I am faithful to the commandments of God. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against you. In, uh, in Hebrew, the words for mercy and forgiveness are uh, pruler. So it's not like it's oceans of mercies, oceans of forgiveness. And what Daniel is implicitly saying, he's saying, God, look, the fact that you're chastising us is a symbol of your love for us. The fact that you've allowed us to come to this point is because you love us. This is the person that understands God correctly and understand what is the goal that God has for us. You see, by the way, until now, Daniel has not asked anything of God. You're great, you're awesome, you're Lord of mercy, you keep your covenant, you're full of forgiveness. We have sinned, we have rebelled, we have committed iniquities. There's not a single request that he asked God. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yet all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curses and the oath written in the laws of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He's telling him that you have warned us, you have told us. He gave us curses and sworn judgment in the book of Deuteronomy and told us, if you do not follow my commandments, I will make you 
go to exile. I'll make you slaves of other nations. The words of God are true. He gave them this in Deuteronomy, which is if written by Moses was about 1500 before Christ. And now a thousand years later, the words of God still true. If you open Deuteronomy 28.15, what does it say? God is summarizing kind of the commandments. He says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, all His commandments, not part of His commandments, all His commandments, and all His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be the city, and cursed shall be the country, Cursed shall be your basket and your, and your uh, kneeling bowel. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, inc the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. He's telling them, because of your sin, your country will be cursed. Your city will be cursed. The basket that you have the fruit in will be cursed. The flocks will be cursed. These were the commandments of God that he gave to Israel right before they crossed the Red Sea. So God is saying that the responsibilities that God gave us gets affected by our own sins. What happens, what happens to people around us, what happens to our life sometime could be because of our sin. Could be because of our sin. I had somebody that was not Christian and I was talking to her a long time ago and she told me almost every single Christian guy I tried to meet up with like just to know him as a friend he was interested in physical relationships and this is one of the main reasons that she told me I'm not comfortable with Christianity Our sins affect people. Gandhi is a great example. Some Christians mistreated him. Imagine what would have happened to India today if Gandhi was a Christian. Adam and Eve were responsible for the food supply of the world. That's why we have to know that our own homes, our own bedrooms, our own cars are sanctified by our prayers. Become holy because what we do in them. That's why when people go to the monastery, they say, wow, it feels peaceful. Not only because it's calm, when they can go on vacation, it's, it feels peaceful. But what, what, what's different? There's a lot of prayers in this place. There's a lot of tears and fasting and matonias in this place. Our faithfulness to God makes everything we touch holy. Makes our workplace even holy. Makes our workplace even holy. We can take one more verse. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us the great, a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. He's saying God was true in his judgment. God is as true as in judgment. He's saying that he told us he will punish us and he did punish us. 
But what's very strange about this verse, he's telling, he's telling, what is he telling God? Telling him, nothing like this have happened, this great disaster. But in reality, in the ancient time, many nations, many countries were occupied by other nations and were destroyed. But he's telling God, what happened to Jerusalem, there's nothing like it. Why is he saying this? Because he's talking about the unique relationship of Jerusalem to God. The fact that we are the nation of God, the children of God, and we have fell under the bondage of sin. That is not normal. That is not typical. This great disaster that happens. It's not like similar to any other nation who never knew God and fell under another nation. The people of God are in exile. The holy temple is destroyed. This is not usual. This is a great disaster. So he's telling God, you, were, you fulfilled your words, but what happened to us was not normal. Was not normal. Next, next week, we will continue the prayer of Daniel. And I really urge you to even print this prayer and put it on your wall. There are many songs that people wrote because of this prayer. And there are many kiddo people who wrote tons of books on just this beautiful prayer. A prayer of somebody who is so faithful to God, but knows how to repent. And what's more beautiful, you will see the heavenly response to him. God, God will send him, the angel tells him, since you've started praying, God ordered me to come straight to you. Once just Daniel started to pray, God said, go give him what he wants. The next week, we will continue from verse 13, and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.